ELT Teaching Tips for English Language Teachers. I'm Dr. Gina Rhodes. Let's get started. This week we have Beth Trudell who's going to talk to us about student engagement. So let's get engaged. Hi Beth, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you. I'm great. I'm doing really well. It's lovely it's so, here in California today. <laughs> it's so good to see you again. It's Thank been a while you. since we first met. That was way back in Thailand. Yeah, I know. I remember that um, workshop that you did for us. That was amazing. I'm really yeah. excited that you're going to talk to us more today. Exactly. I'll be doing a, a version of that today for the listeners. I can't wait. Well, good. Beth, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, good. Um, I have to tell you that I did not become an, Engl an English language teacher until I was 60 years old. And really? that was 14 years ago. I was a trainer for a wonderful healthcare organization, and I did international work um, because it was a nonprofit and people wanted to see how we work. And I love the international work, and I thought, what can I do for my retirement career um, that involves international work? And it was teaching English. So I got another master's, and here I am. Um, and right after I got my degree, I retired from my training job at the healthcare organization, and I applied to be an English language fellow. It was the best career decision I ever made, and I was stationed in Bangladesh, which is now my second home. I go back there all the time. So I've been in Bangladesh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, so many different people. It's been places and people. It's been wonderful. It is an amazing organization. Uh, I was really happy to have the opportunity to learn from you. And I'm so excited that we all get to learn from you today. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and well, so, you know, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do today. A lot of it comes from one of my favorite author's books. And here it is. It is Student Engagement Techniques, a handbook for college faculty. But these can be used in middle school, high school, college. Um, and Elizabeth Barclay has, I, have, I make no money off these books, but <laughs> Elizabeth Barclay has written with um, her colleagues so many books. One's on collaborative learning, one is on assessment. She's just a fabulous author. So as you did, I just got this this past week. It's the second edition. It just came out. And as you can tell, I've been using it a lot already. So um, I just wanted to share with folks this book and how wonderful it really is. Well, we're excited to learn what you have learned from that book and, and the other um, techniques that you have tried and used um, with your students. As we focus today on student engagement, my first question is, why should teachers worry about how engaged their students are? It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. So student engagement. Right now, I think most of the people who are listening and watching are teaching online. And it used to be that student engagement was a lot easier. As this picture shows, you had your students all together. You could move them into groups. You could get them up and moving. You could do a whole lot of things. But online, it's not so easy. I see pictures all over the web of students falling asleep during their online classes. So 
student engagement is even more important now, much more important. The reason is learning begins with student engagement. And this is, this is based on evidence, on studies done. And not only begins with student engagement, it makes the learning of a much higher quality. So it's very, very important. And what in the world is student engagement, huh? It's a combination of motivation and active learning. Two things. Now, I know we all learned a lot about motivation during our teacher training, and it really is just the amount of enthusiasm, attention, and effort that a student puts forth. So what we're going to focus on today is active learning, okay? So how in the world do we do that? Well, we start out by trying to meet our students' needs. And the first need that I like to think of is safety. I always want to make sure my students feel secure, happy, safe in the classroom. And Brophy, whom I'm sure maybe we've all read a little bit of, um, says students are able to focus their energies on learning without becoming distracted by fear of embarrassment or failure, that they'll be successful, or by resentment of tasks that they view as pointless or inappropriate. Tasks that mean nothing to them. You know, I mean, if I say, let's say your students in Australia, and you say to them, write a letter to the president of the US. Well, what do they care? You know, they, that is not the politician they're worried or concerned about. Um, tasks mean, mean to be, need to be authentic, really authentic. Oh, fabulous, I love it. The problem is we have so many different students. Elizabeth Barkley, who wrote the book I love, divided them into three categories. And we've all seen these students in our classes. You know, they're students who are success-oriented. They love learning. Everything is magic for them. They learn quickly and easily, and their goals are really learning goals. They do it for the love of learning. And then we have our overstrivers. Those are our students who have to work hard for everything they get, and they do work hard. They're successful, but they're not confident, and they're anxious. We've seen that. You know, and they have performance goals, not learning, but performing and getting a grade. And then we have the ones that break my heart, the failure avoiders. They have somehow, somewhere been labeled as a child or as a high school student sometime as not being very smart. And it's a horrible label for a child to carry or uh, anybody to carry. They're not always successful. They avoid challenging tasks because they're sure they're going to fail. Their goal is work avoidance. This is the student who in the group will make jokes, you know, say funny things, respond in a different way to questions. They, want, they would rather have the teacher and fellow students think they were lazy rather than not very smart. So it's a very sad thing, but think about trying to do engaging tasks for all these three different kinds of people. 
it's a hard job. Yeah, pretty almost impossible some days. Some, yes, you're right. You're <laughs> right. Those are the days. So we have a little formula here that student engagement expectancy times value. Expectancy. The effort the students are willing to spend on a task is directly related to if they will be able to perform the task successfully. So if our work avoider person takes a look at the task and goes, yeah, I'll never be able to do that. That's when he starts talking, making jokes, getting up and walking around the class. We look at it as a classroom management problem, but it's not. It's not at all. It's that they're afraid of failing, which is a really sad way to be. Now, if he or she feels that they can do this task and they can put some energy into it, and if the teacher is reinforcing that they're a lot better than they think, that could change. And if they're working in a group with students who are empathetic and caring, that will change too. And then the value. These are the two things we have to remember when we're creating engagement tasks. The value is the degree to which they value the rewards as well as the opportunity to engage in performing the task itself. That it means something to their life. So some of my students are sure they're going to be rock musicians. They are going to play a guitar and sing their hearts out. So they don't think they need to know English. I don't need to know English. I can memorize these songs in English as many of us do. But when I tell them to think about all the musicians who have lost all their money because they couldn't read the fine print in the contract, or they couldn't read what somebody was writing about their album notes, and if they had been able to read and write in English, it would have been a different story. Then my students go, all right, maybe this does appeal to me. And as a little aside, that's why in some classes, I walk in on the first day with big pieces of poster paper and crayons and glitter, and I have them create a poster of what they want to do when they graduate from college or university. Then I know how to appeal to them because I, then I plaster the room with them and I see those who want to be judges and airline pilots and rock musicians. So engagement strategies. Let's look at this. I'm trying to look at this from the eyes of an online teacher, which I'm sure so many of you are. Yeah, I'm really glad that you're having that focus because that's unfortunately where we, most of us are these days. Yeah. Exactly. And we're doing it without any training, you know? We're just kind of doing the very best we can and everybody's doing a great job doing the best they can. But there are some things they can do. And some of the things you want to do online are the same as you do in your classroom. You want to establish a community. You want each class to follow the same format as much as possible. Studies show that when students know what to expect, they do much better. And this is new for the student too. The students are as confused as we are some days. So establishing the community. 
we need to do a warm up. And I'm going to give you some examples very soon of student engagement warm ups. A needs assessment, just like you do a needs assessment when you start every class. I now, for anything online, do a needs assessment before I start any section. Because I can't walk into a classroom and start having informal conversations about this. I need to give it some structure. I can't, when I see a group of my students for tutorials, I can't say, hey, what about this? You know, I'm, we're missing that. Guidelines for how we're going to work together online. Most of the students are much smarter than I ever will be with technology, so they can really come up with some great guidelines. And one thing, there's a wonderful um, book by a woman, her last name is Weimer, and it's on student-centered learning. And she has the students not just make up the guidelines, but also how they should be graded on their participation. They need to still participate, still be as involved as if they were sitting in a classroom. And if they come up with those guidelines and how they will be graded on participation, they'll do much better and they'll stay involved. And then how in the world are you going to do tutorials with those students that need extra help? That's another big issue for online tra training. I've always done tutorials. So maybe I'm going to take a chunk at the end and do some group tutorials, but we need to think about that ahead of time. And also collaborative learning, involving all the learning and teaching things worth learning. Okay, so this is my first tip. And this is brand new. I, I found this just this morning. This is brand new in Elizabeth Barkley and Claire Howell majors this, in this edition. I've never seen this activity before. So you are the first group to see it. Um, and this is called the rainbow activity. So we'll talk about how this can be done and you can come up with an idea of how to do it. So there's different questions to ask the students and they are color coded. So red, what is one behavior or, you, or thing you wish that the teacher or students would not do? What a great question for a warm up. Thank you, Elizabeth Barkley. This is such a great question. Um, you know, we need to know not just what we should do, but what should we stop doing that drives people crazy um, and other students. And so that's red. Red means stop, you know, stop doing this. Orange, what motivates you to do your best? So not only this is a warm up where the students are getting to know each other and express themselves, you as the teacher are learning a whole lot about them. And then yellow, to what learning experience have you given your all? What really pulled you in? Very important. Green, green's for money. What do you plan to do for a career? So again, this is all, this is like doing a fun needs assessment, but also the students are getting to know each other. You know, somebody will say, hey, this guy's gonna do this, or this girl thinks she can do this. And blue, blue for the blue sky, the sky is the limit. What are your dreams and hopes for the future? Do you know, I mean, one time I asked a similar question and a young man said, well, I take care of my sick mom 
and I, I cook, do all the cooking for the family. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this kid is going to school full time. He's taking care of a sick mom. He's doing everything at home. And he said, I hope one day my mother is well again. And I'm like, oh my goodness, thank heavens I know this. Um, and purple. Now this is one of my favorite questions. If you were the ruler, if you ruled the universe, or if you were the king or the queen or the president of the university or the teacher, what is the first thing you would do? So this is straight out. So what do you think? What do you think, Gina? How, how could we do this online? Well, you can ask these questions and you can put the students in breakout rooms and have them, you know, give each room one question um, to think about or you could have them do it on their own first and then discuss together. There's a lot of different ways you could do it. I think it's fabulous. These are great, great questions. Aren't they fun? Um, I was so glad I got my second edition to find this. So yeah. exactly, you can put them in groups and they could do it. Or you could have one group be red, one orange, and they could put them all together. Um, and then as they give feedback, the groups could add. So if somebody feels strongly that they want to answer one of the other ones, they can put it in. Now, you know, if you had them in the classroom, they'd be doing it on chart pads, walking around the room. But you can still get that same experience and get the same great information from them. And maybe you could even, like you said, have them do it ahead of time. So then you can get written answers from everybody. Yeah, and you, and you see a little bit of how they write too. Yeah, yeah, you could give this as, a, as a, a homework assignment. You could even tell them, answer the three that are most important to you, and then they can discuss them together. That's a good idea. And then they would have to think critically and prioritize. That's a yeah. great idea. Good. So this <laughs> yeah. is the first teaching tip, and I, and I like it very much. Now, this is from the book again. This is called Artifacts. So artifacts are usually thought of as cultural or historical interesting items. And one of the things I quite often walked in with a basket of items, things from my home, fun things, things from my travels, and I'll go around the room and put one with each group or they get to pick one out of the basket. And then they, they talk about it and, and make up a story or, you know, um, or I have students bring in their own artifact that tells us something about themselves. Now online, this is pretty simple. I found these pictures and that I want students to answer, how are you feeling about starting this class? Pick a picture that matches your feelings. So I love the one of the woman on the tightrope, right? Yeah, I'm just kind of doing a balancing act here. Um, or how about the famous painting? Yeah, oh, the scream. Um, or here's somebody in the middle who's kind of overwhelmed. Lots of books, lots of classes. Um, and then a woman, a young woman who's pretty happy working at a computer. And here's the guy who's just lying on the grass thinking about class. There's his um, iPad, his Apple, his pen and paper. Which one are you? And you know, you can pick different pictures for your culture. I just thought these were kind of fun. So artifacts, and you can use artifacts in many different ways. One time I asked my students to bring in their own artifact to talk about it. And then they were going to write a little bit of a story um, about it. 
And one young woman brought in a loaf of bread. And she said that when she turned 12, her grandmother thought she was old enough to understand that during the country's war, to feed her kids, her grandmother had to steal a loaf of bread. And she's, the girl said, every time I feel like, oh my gosh, school is too hard. Everybody's mean. You know, I can't get along with my parents. I think of my grandmother. So students will surprise you with their in-depth what they do. So artifacts from their own heart and soul, their own family. And, you know, maybe they're going to bring in a superhero or somebody like that. But artifacts are kind of a fun activity. And they can be used so differently. These are great okay. activities. This is fabulous. I hope our teachers will try some of these and let us know how it goes. I would love to know. I would love to know that. And then quotes. I love quotes. And um, a warm-up. I, I once asked my students to um, be prepared, bring in a quote of their hero. Their hero could be somebody from Star Wars. It could be their mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. It could be a teacher from their youth. It could be anybody. But bring in a quote of something your hero said to you that really made a difference. And again, this is a real insight into your students. And this can be done very simply online. Or you could have the student pick their favorite quote from the reading. And this tells you a lot about where their reading skills are and why they pick that. And it's very interesting. And students will learn from each other. Oh my goodness, yes, that's a much better quote than mine. Or, oh, I like your quote just as much as mine. And it's kind of a fun thing. Or I will get all kinds of quotes from local people, local folks. Um, and students will pick them out and in groups they'll write a story using the quote. Or we'll use newspapers. And they'll say, hey, maybe a quote would have been good here, or this is not a good quote. They're just throwing it in. They really have to think critically when they read something about a newspaper. So quotes are fun. I'll tell you when I'm training teachers, my favorite quote is, uh, William said this, um, teachers sometimes correct a student's paper as if they were editing it for publication, and they shouldn't. <laughs> so, I mean, quotes are, are always very interesting and fun in the classroom. And you can do silly quotes, too. It doesn't have to be so serious. So here's a list of other strategies. I went a little overboard here. You know, we used to do book clubs. Have you ever done a book club with students, Gina? I love doing book clubs. It's so fun. And you do. You learn a lot about your students during book clubs. Yeah. Exactly. And it's a little harder online and a little more difficult to get them all involved in a book. But I like short story clubs, too. Very, very many countries have beautiful short story authors. Pakistan, when I was in Pakistan, they have some fabulous authors. And the teacher said to me, you know, um, my kids don't like English literature. I said, oh my gosh, with the great Pakistani authors, forget about English literature, do Pakistani literature. So give them a taste of their own writers and look up a short story, and so many are in English, and do a short story club. 
maybe some of your students have favorite short stories. So that makes it a little bit easier to handle online than a book club. And then this is one of my favorites, Believing and Doubting. Peter Elbow, who is in the land of English language teachers, is called a contrarian, somebody who does things the opposite way. He created Believing and Doubting. And I have used this so many times and it's so much fun. And the good thing is, is that it's a really rowdy activity. But online, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, the teacher next door isn't booing because my kids are so noisy. But a student has to take an idea and support it as a believer and then take a step to the side and support it as a doubter. And one country I was in, there was a big issue about women inheriting. Women were not allowed to inherit, but that was being questioned. And we, I used things like that in the classroom, current events, and it's a great critical thinking, speaking activity, persuasive. And the fun part is their group has to decide whether they're really a believer or a doubter. And their best time was when they would fool me. And I'd say, you're a believer. And they go, no, I'm a doubter. And then everybody would scream and holler and cheer. So this is really a lovely activity. And there was one class where I did it to start the day or I did it to end the day. Um, we did a little believing and doubting and it was fun. And then directed paraphrase. You know, English language speakers need to be able to put things simply into their own words. So perhaps we're reading something and I'll say, how would you explain this to your younger sister, brother, or cousin? How would you explain this to someone who never read this book? Put it in your own words. And paraphrasing is a real, really important skill. Different than summarizing. And it's something that in the work world, or if they go to graduate school, they're going to need to be able to do. And, but the, it can be done in an energetic way, not just writing by yourself. Um, you know, when they go to school, when they go to graduate school, or they go to work, they're not going to be sitting by themselves and writing things. They're going to be doing it with people from other departments. They're going to be doing it with a group of people. We need to get them doing this together. So they can work on paraphrasing together and have a good time with it. And again, use a silly story, use a joke, get them to say it in their own words. Interviews. You know, one of the things we need to think about is how can they keep using English outside the classroom? So maybe they should interview their friends who in English or friend, again, a relative in English, maybe their mom and dad are English speakers. And, you know, we can do a little class on asking questions, doing good interview questions to get good answers. And they can do interviews outside of the classroom and come back with them. And again, there they are using English outside the classroom. And then ethical dilemmas. 
this is one of my favorites and a favorite of my students. And it's like, you know, a young woman, she's a great student. She needs a, and she needs to get a scholarship desperately. Um, but she's been sick and she's missed a lot. And she's not doing real well in her classes. She has a chance to buy the final exam. What, she, what should she do and why? Very simple. You can make these up. And they, they talk about these ethical dilemmas. And again, it's a great speaking. It's a great critical thinking. How to persuade others. How to work with others. Um, and then you can have them write their own which is really fun too. So I'm sorry this is such a long list, but I enjoy using these and so much. I'm sorry that that's a long list. That's a great list. <laughs> great, great. And, okay, I'm gonna throw in a little bit about writing. My specialty is academic writing, and I love teaching writing. It's my favorite thing to teach. But I'm hearing horror stories about trying to teach um, writing online. Now, this is a time, I think, where we all, as writing teachers, need to sit back, take a deep breath, and relax. And we need to focus on the substance and the structure rather than grammar or word usage. You know, let's let them be successful. When you write, you're kind of vulnerable, you know? And, you know, you're pouring your heart out or you're trying to use your brain so let's, it's very important that they get structure correct, that they have a thesis statement, that they have one idea per paragraph, all those things. Let grammar and word usage go. Let's focus on these things, and this will be a big help. Have them write in groups, and have them do it a step at a time. First they write their thesis statement. First they do their, you know, their graphic, their spider diagram, their outline, and then they do their topic and then they do a thesis statement and everybody in the group shares theirs and then we give them feedback and then they go on to the next step and you're, everybody's being coached at every step and your work avoiders are working in a group with different skills and they're all working together and they're learning um, and then you have them peer review with guidelines and I want to tell you that the whole point to wrap this up of student engagement being so, so important, is that the University of Michigan, which is a very prestigious university in the United States, did a study on the best way for students to learn. And they looked at all the literature, all the recent literature, hundreds and hundreds of studies, and they came up with the best way for students to learn is students teaching other students. So that's another reason student engagement and working collaboratively is so important, even in the online world. Yeah, there's been a lot of research that says if, if you really want to learn something, then you have to learn it well enough to be able to teach it to somebody else. Yeah. And uh, that's why we're so smart, because we're teaching. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that is some of my ideas, actually, Elizabeth and my ideas on student engagement. If any of you would like these slides, please email me. There you see it's my last name, trudel60 at AOL.com. And don't you laugh that I'm still on AOL. <laughs> 
Okay, Trudell60 at AOL.com. And please tell me if you've tried anything, and I'll really be happy to share these slides with you. Okay, great. And Beth, um, you said that you were going to do a workshop where we're going to get to try out some of these activities, right? Exactly. And the workshop will be some more. Yeah, and actually, we can do some small group work in that workshop, huh? Oh, that would yeah. be fun. And um, you can try them on each other. That would be great. And um, yes, the workshop, I'll put in a little bit more theory, only that is interesting, okay? Um, mm -hmm. And different, some different tips. That's and great. You can see I'm very bound up with this. And I will, and some new tips, new and different ones. So that you, you will have a whole library full of tips by the time we do this. And the workshop, and the workshop will be in, Gina, be December 4th. Isn't that what we decided? Yes, early December, December 4th on a Friday. Yeah, at 11 p.m. GMT, which is 4 p.m. Um, Pacific Daylight Savings Time, your time, right? Yes, yes. Okay, exactly. all right. Thank you so much, Beth. Can you tell us about any other projects that you're working on right now? Oh, yes. I am working on a great project right now. Um, I was an English language specialist in Bangladesh on the American English Radio Project. Now, I have to tell you, a lot of people when I say radio, especially all the techno people, go, they yawn, they roll their eyes. You know, one author said, um, the glitter glatter of technology um, makes people think that radio is nothing. But I'll tell you, um, we broadcast teaching English via the radio to rural areas where there are teachers in rural areas who work very hard, but they can't speak English. And they do their English lessons in their local language. And they, they don't get a chance, the rural people don't get a chance, the rural high school students, um, the rural, we had groups who, of young girls who dropped out of school who used to listen. I mean, they don't get a chance to really learn and to hear a native speaker. And it was all done in stories, fun, very indirect teaching. And it was just a wonderful project. And, and the listeners really loved it. And we had listening groups. And that it was a great project. And we had great outcomes. Well, two colleagues and I are writing an article about it and sharing what we did. Because it can be easily replicated if we have any rural teachers listening or any people who work in rural areas. This is an easy project to replicate. And that's why we're writing an article. We're gonna to have to have you come back and tell us um, more about that project in another episode and uh, after the article's published and then we'll, have, we'll be able to read about it. That sounds great. I would love to, I would love to. It was a fun, wonderful project. We really had a good time doing it. So yes, that'd be great. Thanks for asking. Yeah. And can you tell us again where we can find you? What's your um, email address? It's my last name, Trudell, T-R-U-D-E-L-L, -L, and the number 60, Trudell60, at AOL.com. And if you have questions, if you want the slides, if you have questions you want to ask me, please feel free to contact me. I hope that you do hear from many of them. Thank you so much. Beth, well, that thank was great. You. Thanks for the opportunity to reach out to people. I am, you know, I usually would be in Bangladesh or another country at this time. 
and I'm really missing this. So it's fun to know that I'm talking to teachers out there, even though I can't see them, I know they're there. So thank you. Yeah. Yes, you are. You're every week. We get more and more people involved in the project. Good. Thank you for asking me. Talk to you soon, my dear. Okay. Bye. Bye. Wow, Beth really had a lot of great ideas in this interview. She packed a lot in, in such a short time. I want to go back and um, tell you about what I thought were some of the top teaching tips that she had. The first one was, I really thought, I agree with her that it's really important to establish a community with your students, especially at the beginning of a semester, or beginning of a course. Make sure that you do work with your students and try to create that community amongst them. And when we're online, that's really even more important because as she talked about a lot in her presentation, that it's really important to um, keep that community because the students can get just get lost much more easily in online than they do in person. I really love the rainbow activity. It's very different from my rainbow learning that you may or may not already know about. That's a coming, it's coming in an episode. Seriously, we'll do it. But um, <laughs> I really thought that that was a great way, the way it was organized was a great way to do a needs assessment, a really quick way to, the questions were fabulous to help find out where your students are and what their needs are in your class. I also love the artifacts. She talked about so many, she talked about a, quite a few different ones, but there's even so many more things you can do with artifacts. So I thought that that was a really good summary of some of the things that we can do with artifacts. And quotes, she gave us so many great ideas of different things to do with quotes. And sometimes I think we, some of us, at least I do sometimes, we forget how great it is to be able to use a quote in a lot of different ways. So I thought that was really good. And then at the end, she talked about writing and um, the importance of making sure your students are focusing on the content and not so much on the grammar that, of course, we do need to teach our students grammar, but it's not important that we just mark up every single thing that they say. We also need to think about what they're saying. And um, I think that I think it's important to be to have assignments that are focused on form and accuracy and then there are other assignments that are focused on their ideas and getting them out and not really be critical of how those ideas are written but that they're there and that we're they were a community with our students by having those there and um, with group writing um, I'm thinking I'll probably do a, an episode on it but we we can do a lot with group writing I usually have my students I create a, a separate Google Doc for each group and then the, um, the groups online, they're in a breakout room together so that they can talk to each other about what they want to write. And so they're in a breakout room and they're sharing a Google Doc. And so they can work together on their writing. So we do a lot of different writing in my classes through breakout rooms and Google Docs. And then I just check in on each room and see how they're doing. And I can, even when I'm not in the room, I can look and see how, what they're writing on each doc. It's really a lot of fun. So those were the top teaching tips that we learned from Beth. And don't forget that we're going to have a workshop with Beth talking all about her student engagement tips on December 4th at 11 p.m. GMT, which is 4 p.m. for her in Pacific Daylight Savings Time. And um, it'll be later in the evening on a Friday for those of us, uh, those of you who are in Africa and in Europe. 
and it'll be Saturday morning for me at 10 a.m. and probably 8 a.m. in China and the Philippines. But please always remember everything that we do in TTLT, please check the time against, the, um, against GMT so that you'll know exactly what time it's going to happen. And of course, don't forget that we have um, Nicole's pronunciation tips workshop coming on November 20th at 11 p.m. GMT as well. Both of these are on Friday. It seems to be a time that works a lot for a lot of people. So um, hopefully you can be there. And if it's, this is not a time that's good for you, please let us know. We would really like to um, make sure that these are easily accessible to all of you all over the world. So if you find that having these workshops at 11 p.m. GMT is really not good for you, please let us know and we'll see if we can have some workshops at different times. Of course, if you want to uh, learn more and participate more in TTELT, uh, send us a tip that you'd like to share, a journal article or blog that you'd like us to read and discuss, and recommend more people to be interviewed. We'd love to interview as many teachers as possible, and we could even interview you. It would be fabulous to hear about the tips that you know and you want to share with other teachers. And if you've tried some of the things that you have seen in the episodes of TTLT, we'd love to hear how it went. And I would love to interview you and talk to you about how it went with your students. I think many teachers would appreciate that. And of course, if you just have questions, comments, or suggestions, we'd love to hear those too. And the best way to contact us is to go to www.ttelt.org. And there you can find all the episodes. You can find links to uh, all the different pages that we're, we're available and even links to the YouTube channel right there on ttelt.org. Uh, you can even find our blog there. Everything's right there on that page. Uh, you can email me at tteltinfo at gmail.com, or you can email me right on that page. And um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and the YouTube channel. And please join our Facebook group. If you're not there already, just go to ttelt and ask to join the Facebook group. And we'll be happy to have you there. And of course, follow us on Twitter at TTLT1 and on Instagram at T.TELT. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.